Hey, this is Kyle. And this is David. And this is the Techno Podcast. This is the Techno Podcast. We're sitting here with Jacob Moses, uh, or as Jacob Scott Moses, as he likes to say on his podcast. Um, Techno Podcast, where we interview people around Denton uh, in the tech industry and startups and entrepreneurs and things like that. So, uh, welcome to the show, Jacob. How's it going? Thank you, Kyle. I'm pumped to be here. Things are well. <laughs> That's awesome. It's the podcasting voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he just came out. He is a perfect... We'll, we'll get more into that. <laughs> so, um, so... David, let's start with you. All right. First question that I always start with, what brought you to Denton? Golly. So I went to Flower Mountain High School. I was class of 2011, which was fine. And then I spent the fall of my freshman year in College Station, which was not fine. (laughs) So I immediately left and moved to Denton. Um my parents have a pretty extended history in in Denton. My father has worked at Good Samaritan as physical therapist for the past 27 years, Um, worked with the geriatric community. My mom went to TWU, played tennis there. Um, So I was always just kind of interested in the city of Denton, um, considering my parents lived here. Um, So knocked out a year and a half at NCTC, Go Lions, <laughs> and um, really just fell in love with this city. Um, it felt like there was a, a niche for everyone. The barred entry wasn't very high. There's a lot of cities that you can move to where you really do feel isolated for a good chunk of your adulthood there. Um, but just right away, I just felt like this was this was the place for me. Yeah. So I know that you had went to school here and then you left and yeah. then you came back. So so did you get your degree here first and then you yes. moved on? So yes. So yes, that's I should have said that before, I suppose. <laughs> um, that's why we're here. We're here to guide the conversation. <laughs> uh knocked out the remaining year and a half of community college at NCTC. Um and then transferred over to UNT. Um, at that point, I knew I wanted to write. Um, I'm a technical writer. I guess I'll just go ahead and say that for my profession. Um, and I transferred over to UNT and really didn't know what I wanted to do. I liked to write. I had a few online blogs. So I th- thought, hey, maybe like marketing. Oh, maybe mess with a little bit of English. Like these seem like logical options. Um, and then I remember I was sitting at Jupiter House with um, my oversized beanie because I'm in Denton. <laughs> and there was a young man behind me um, with what seemed to be a client discussing a freelance writing project. And at this point, I hadn't declared a major. And I'm just like, yo, like, I'm just going to like holler at this homie and just like see like <laughs> how he got to where he is because like I'm super like fascinated in what he's doing. So the gentleman left, uh, the young guy was sitting solo and I took the opportunity to walk up and just be like, Hey, like, like, are you like a freelance writer? Like, I'm interested in what you're doing. Like, how did you get here? And he went on to tell me that he was a UNT student within the tech department at UNT. 
Uh, and then that's when the conversation started. He asked what I do. I said, I'm at UNT looking just to write. And then he straight up ripped out a piece of loose leaf paper and wrote down that I should go into the tech comm department at UNT. I need to holler at Brenda Sims, who's the, the dean of the college over there. Um, and I did. So that's how I got involved in the tech comm department at UNT. And I mean, really the best decision I've ever made in my my short writing career. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know we've talked about this before. Um, so is TechCom under another, is it under Mayborn? So no, it's, it's not. It's its own department. And okay. UNT is actually <clears throat> one of only five universities in the U.S. where you can get a bachelor's in technical communication. Oh, wow. So it's, it's very special and still up and coming. Like I graduated May of 2015 with, with eight kids. So it's still not very popular. Um, but whenever I was there, it was the Department of Technical Communication and Linguistics. They, mm-hmm. they paired the two. But as of, I think, last, last semester, maybe, it broke off into its truly own department. So now it's just the Department of Technical Communication. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal program. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so, so you graduate from UNT. Yeah. And then did you get a job right out of school or did you kind of hang around town for a little bit or yeah. what did you do then? So I, I mentioned before that I was, whenever I moved to Denton, I started a couple, a couple blogs. I had a, a music blog and a wellness blog. And I used the resources from a company called Copyblogger Media to start those websites. So I was just a big fan of the company. They had a content marketing blog that I used to get my copywriting down. I used their studio press themes for my WordPress account. So because I'm such a big fan, I followed their C-suite on Twitter. I followed their writers on Twitter, designers, all that stuff. So flash forward to fall of my senior year, I'm outside the cupboard about to buy a gala apple checking the Twitter. And (laughs) the CFO tweeted of Copyblogger Media that he's looking for an intern in Dallas. So first of all, I'm like, yo, like, Copyblogger has like a Dallas office, like that is all remote. And then secondly, like you're hiring interns, like this is crazy. So I tweeted at Sean saying like, hey, like I'm a tech comm major, love what y'all do, like would like to have this opportunity. He tweeted back, yeah, come on by. And then I got the internship, interned with Copyblogger Media for the remainder of my senior year, wrote some white papers, did some web copy, picked up some frozen paninis. <laughs> and then the day I graduated, um, I was hired as a technical writer for them. That's cool. Yeah. And you've been with them since then? Been with them since, yes. Yeah. So, um, and they're a, I don't want to screw this up, but they're a distributed company? They are, or the company you... So it's, it's an all-remote company. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Yes, yeah, so we had a Dallas office just because the CFO didn't want to be in his bedroom working the entire time. It was a place, <laughs> there was a place for him to escape, hence me picking up paninis. Yeah. <laughs> um, but upon being hired, they encouraged me to move to Boulder, Colorado, because mm-hmm. that's where the CEO, Brian Clark, lives. Um, they wanted me to get some, some mentorship up there. So graduated hung out in Denton uh, for the remainder of the summer and then moved up there in August. And Boulder was lovely. It is a, it's a great community. There's beautiful mountains. You can snowboard and hike and all that beautiful stuff. Um, but towards the latter part of that year, I knew I wanted to come back to Denton. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, and you specifically work for on the Rainmaker 
platform. Yes. Is that right? So what was formerly known as Copyblogger Media is now Rainmaker Digital. Gotcha. And one of their products is the Rainmaker Platform, which is a content management system built on the WordPress framework. Gotcha. Most of its customers are small businesses, freelance writers, entrepreneurs, stuff like that. So it's a, it's a turnkey solution. Gotcha. So you buy, you buy the Rainmaker Platform. It comes with synthesis hosting, which we also provide. It comes with all the studio press themes. You get copywriting tips from Copyblogger Media. So for folk that want to build that online presence very quickly, you just buy the Rainmaker platform. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about, okay, I hire this designer. I have to figure out what host I want. You get everything included whenever you go with the Rainmaker platform. Right. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So um, so your day job as a tech writer, so what are you doing? What are you writing for Rainmaker? Yeah on a daily basis. So I do end user documentation. Whenever you talk about technical writing, there's developer documentation and there's end user documentation. So I write to the actual customers who aren't, aren't very tech savvy asking questions like, how do I upload my podcast file? How do I add a featured image? How do I create a blog post? Questions like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess daily tasks are um, just working with the developers to make sure that the pieces are being documented properly um, and really just writing a bunch, a bunch of video tutorials, um, <laughs> analyzing a lot of article feedback to make sure that we're creating living documents because, I mean, we don't want to write something and then not get any feedback. We don't know if it's effective or ineffective. So we have a lot of data that we track to make sure that the documents are, are up to par and Man, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, go ahead. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. How do you, with documentation for developers, we, we know it's always out of date. Like, mm-hmm. Because <laughs> the second you change the code, the documentation documentation's out of date. Yeah. And being lazy, we don't always go back and fix that. So, can you go into the systems y'all use to make sure that things are up to date? Is it just user feedback? Or how do y'all handle that? So, I mean, it's, it's getting into GitHub. And then we just have the labels. And, for example, we have the... Two point, oh golly, I probably should say this. We have a release coming up soon, <laughs> um, and it has the appropriate label, uh, the which release it is, and then needs uh, needs docs needs docs update, and then so once we've knocked out all those issues, we know we're good for that release. Um, in terms of errors in previous documentation, we straight up have just an HTML form at the top that says, "Was this article helpful? Yes or no." And then we just implemented that maybe six weeks ago, and we're already getting so much amazing user feedback. I mean, it's that feedback loop. So many times you create documents, and you don't know if it's doing good or not. But Mm -hmm. we have have people catching catching typos. Mm -hmm. We have people saying, this was super good. Do more of this. Do less of that. So it's... It's this open dialogue that it's really revolutionized, at least our documentation team at, at Rainmaker Digital. That's really cool. We, uh, my agency works with a company called Pantheon, which is like hosting for Drupal sites and things. And they have a really awesome documentation uh, channel where at the top of every page, it's like contributes to this documentation and it's a little GitHub link and you can actually go in and submit pull requests awesome. against the documentation and say, oh yeah, by the way, you wrote this section, but you're missing one piece like that's kind of crucial to make this command work. And um, I, think, I think that's a really awesome a way to contribute and, and put documentation out mm-hmm. for software. 
uh, in the world. So yeah. it's really cool. And it, it speaks to your, in this case, your, your community mm-hmm. and it speaks to also your customers. Like we haven't had to go through any likes, like spam comments or spam feedback. I mean, and what, what better way to like show love to your customers whenever they catch an error and then next time they check it out, like it's been resolved. Right. Like that's like a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm the person, if I see a typo, I will alert the company and then go back and check re- Are you? regularly. Okay. Yeah. Like the, the Mazda website had a typo in a color name huh. on, the, on a Miata builder and I let them know about it and they never fixed it. I went back like yeah. a year, years later. And so, you're probably like, come so, on, like I, I let y'all yes, know. Exactly. It's not that hard, yeah. but in uh, great documentation makes all the difference though yep. especially at least from my point of view as a technical person going through documentation to set up a server and if it's correct everything goes smoothly if it's not correct you spend hours yep. figuring out which step was incorrect and yep. it's just it makes a huge difference and for for people that are afraid of technology even more so because they just don't want to touch anything mm-hmm. so that to- documentation makes a big difference yeah yeah. So, so making that little feedback thing at the top, actually listening to your podcast, which we'll talk to next. Um, one of your guests talked about just in time documentation. Yes. Miss Bree. That was my, that was my favorite yeah. episode by far because I thought that was a really like agile uh, approach to documentation. It's like, you know, write documentation for what people are looking for. Don't write documentation just because you think you yeah. need to write it, yeah. you know? So that's a really. Did oh you, man! Did you bring that back to your company? You said, "Listen, I wrote this podcast, or I did this podcast, and this is what we need to be doing." Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> between between the three of us, um, I mean, since starting the Not Boring Tech Writer, I mean, there's been so many strategies that I've been able to implement from my guest into into my documentation team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, before we move on the podcast, what? Going to school to UNT for this tech com yeah. kind of um, degree, how much did that translate over to what you're doing right now? Like, what kind of like did it provide a good good foundation? I mean, being a CS major, like I learned Java and C plus plus, and I don't use any of it mm. like at all. I mean, I understand syntax and you know, kind of like lower level like algorithm algorithm ideas um, concepts, but um, most of the stuff I just kind of learned on the job for what I need to be writing at the time. So what was that like a good foundation to start with when you're like being a tech writer? Oh, undoubtedly. Really? I mean, I can thank the tech company department for, I mean, everything about my (laughs) career. Cause I mean, it just taught me how to write clear, concisely. It it taught me how to think. It taught me how to work with subject matter experts. It taught me how to just be confident in my work, which was huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, as opposed to, I mean, imagine if I would have gone into and be like an English major. Yeah, like I would have still learned how to write, but it would have been a very different style of writing. It's not mm-hmm. about brevity in, right. in English. It's about, I mean, just really expanding on your ideas, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but TechCom is all about pushing your idea very quickly, getting to the point, understanding, making things readable, understanding that no one actually reads an entire document. People need to scan things. So just basic things like add bullet points, use H2 tags, uh, I mean, there's there's a variety of things I could list off, but yeah, it it really translated. That's cool. Yeah. So so you started a podcast called the yeah. Not Born Tech Writer. Yeah. About, was it a year ago? Was it earlier March. this year? It was so March. March 2016. This March year. 2016. Yeah. So what what made you want to start this podcast? <laughs> okay. I love this story. <laughs> so I was hired by Rainmaker Digital in May of 2015. And shortly after, my company sponsored a podcasting conference. 
Um, and as someone who's been in the company for one month, they asked me to go. <laughs> and, uh, um, and at the end of one of the day sessions, everyone shuffled to the hotel bar. I'm like, you know what? Like, um, I'm an employee. Like, I'm, I'm 21. I'm, I'm going to roll with these guys. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sip a little bit with the folk. And got to the bar, and all was well. We were laughing and drinking and stuff. And, and I started having, having conversation with, with a stranger. And the conversation was fine until he asked me uh, what I do for a living. <laughs> and I said, I am a technical writer. And grabbed the base of my pint glass, preparing for like a mighty cheers to follow. Because I was proud. I mean, you know, like I just graduated, have a job writing. I was pumped about it. And he went on to tell me that that sounds like the most boring job in the world. Asked me if I've ever read a piece of fiction. Asked me if I read manuals for fun. I said, yes. <laughs> um, but at that point, it was just very telling of the perception that people outside the tech com industry have of technical writers. So I was like, no, that's not true. Like I'm, I have lots of lovely associations. Like I'm into other kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not boring. My job isn't boring. So I started the, the Not Boring Tech Writer podcast, which is all about giving technical writers the skills that they need to break that stereotype that technical writing is a boring career. Mm-hmm. So each episode has a different guest where they cover a different skill that the listener can apply. And it's been it's been very popular. Tech writers are really, really digging it. Yeah. I mean, I honestly have never seen another podcast like it, mm-hmm. to be honest. So I think you kind of fit a niche there. Yeah. So <laughs> it's fun. And, and it's just because tech writers, I mean, unlike like copywriters and content marketers, like they don't really focus on giving themselves like a platform. Like you think of content marketing, how many content marketing blogs are there? I mean, so many. Yeah. So if you want to start a, a content marketing blog, you need to be very strategic about like, okay, what's your, the content marketing institute has this great term called the content tilt. You can't just write about whatever your topic is. What's your tilt? What's unique about you? So it's, it's very easy to get lost in the noise with topics like that. But with TechCom, I mean, like you said, no one was really podcasting about it. No one is really writing about it. So we, we thankfully filled that void and now tech writers who have never been on podcasts get to share their ideas and it's beautiful, man. And it's just honor just to <laughs> show love to these guys and give them a platform to share, share their wisdom. Yeah. And just for the listeners, uh, Jacob was actually the one who inspired me to start the Techmo oh, podcast. That's what's up. Yeah. I what, so first we came into Stoke, I sat down and started chatting with Jacob and telling me they started a podcast and I went home and listened to a couple of them and I was like, this sounds amazing. Like like, how does it sound so good? I mean, I listen to, you know, like dozens of podcasts every week. And, uh, so I came back and I asked you like, Hey, how do you, how did you start recording this? You're like, well, I I have a Yeti and then I have this mic and then I have this app uh, that records Skype calls. Mm -hmm. And then I just, uh, like edit it through Camtasia. Is that yep. what you use? Yeah, yep. like through Camtasia. And I was just like, just video editing software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Video, for of all things, video editing software. And I was like, I have no excuse. Like, there's literally no excuse for me to not be starting a podcast right now. So, well, it's happened to be a bit of an inspiration. Well, thank you. Well, yeah. I now it's full circle. So <laughs> now you're on our podcast. Yeah. So, um, so what else, David? You have any? You have any tech writing questions? No. What? Here's here's one. If so, we have two developers in a room with a person who works with developers who writes documentation. As a developer, what is the number one thing you would like to see 
in documentation. Oh, yes. Like in documentation I'm reading in order to, mm-hmm. I just want it to be right. <laughs> if it's wrong, because I'm going to, a lot of times, for example, my, back to my example of setting up a server, I don't do it often enough that I remember everything, plus things change over mm-hmm. time, best practices and security and things, so I just want to copy a line, paste it in the Unix terminal, and have it work, yeah. or the Linux terminal, terminal <laughs> and have it work. And so, but I... I Coming back to Kyle's question about what questions I have, as a small business owner, I want to give good documentation to my customers, but that is that always seems like the the last thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, because it comes after you have to build the thing first yeah. before you can document it. And do you have any ideas or tips for people that don't do it full time of how they can improve? or add any documentation whatsoever if, if they don't have any. Yeah, so I don't, I don't work with developer documentation, so I don't have the, the experience to speak to anything about it, but for, for tech writers, it's essential that you understand what developers are looking for. So unlike end user documentation, where they kind of want that narrative, that, that cadence behind it, like, oh, like what's, I mean, it's like, like, like a story arc. I mean, you're introducing the feature what it does and then how it's gonna look on your site as opposed to developers. You need to get to the code as fast as possible. Developers don't wanna read like these narratives that, that precede the code. Um, and just understand that you have different, different skill levels with developers. There's some that are gonna be able to go straight to, if available, a quick start guide, which is awesome. That's something that um, Google does a great job of. They have phenomenal API documentation. Um, you're indifferent. Yeah, I've, I've come Google across Google Maps some at that least. Just, <laughs> leads me to, like their sample code has bugs in it, and uh, if sample code has bugs in it, I'm just oh, yes. That, that was Android program. <laughs> so it, it probably gets a lot less love than Maps. Yes, Maps is used a lot more. Yeah, Maps is nice. Um, I forget what else I was going to say. Story arc documentation. Yes, there, need, there needs to be a story <laughs> to your end user documentation. Quick start guide. Level of developers. I don't know. Yeah. I was trying to. It was a good summation. Yeah. Like All right. <laughs> That's probably the, the extent that I can speak to developer documentation. Yeah. As someone who's only in end user stuff. Well, and I, I mean it also. So I, I make apps for other people. And one thing that I would like to do, like we, we do client apps. We build an app for a client. And then they're in charge of marketing mm. it and, and doing the end user documentation and stuff. But it would be a kind of cool service to have it the full the full package there. Absolutely. We can do the documentation also. So do you have any ideas? of? Would you say hire a f- freelance person to do that? Oh. Or would you say these are ways, this is the baseline, this is how you figured out how to do the just-in-time documentation? I'm going to listen to that podcast later, yeah. but I haven't yet. So any ideas on that? So So – Going back to the example, you've you've created an app for a client, and then if they want to make any updates to the app, is that what you're referring to? Where they would you would provide a guide where they can do that stuff on their own, as opposed to later contacting you? No, I mean they have customers that are real okay. people. Well, we're all real people, but <laughs> that are not technical people that will be using it that might have questions about how to use the app, um, and. It would be nice if we, as a company, could provide that documentation mm-hmm. for the end user because we know the product more familiar, yeah. better mm-hmm. than than they do because I know all the intricacies of the code. So, yeah. 
I guess it just depends if you want to be like a customer facing company or if you want to just be on the back end and just pr- provide these apps. If it's the former, then yeah, I think it'd be a, a great idea to reach out to someone, a freelance tech writer, to be able to put documentation together for you. Um, but I think it just it depends on what like, your business structure is, I guess. If you want people to refer to Shepherd, Shepherd Dog, shepherddog.com to get that documentation, or if you just expect your, your customers p- to put it together. Right. Dot .co, right? It is, but just I, shepherddog.co. It's okay. I just wanted to make it clear in the podcast. <laughs> no one can spell shepherd dog. Anyway. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's interesting because I, I, I like the idea of selling the whole widget. And to me, the whole widget mm. is app plus documentation yes. plus anything else. And it might not be branded by us, but it's here's the documentation yeah. for it. And so I'd like to get that direction eventually. And it would probably be a. I like to do everything myself also, mm-hmm. but I also am learning more and more as I have a business that I have a lot of limits. Mm-hmm. Like I never knew before I started my own thing, that, <laughs> hey, you can't do these things. Well, if there's an um, optimal way to document your product, I mean, value added, you can provide templates for your customers. So just give them a little quick start guide to be able to create their own documentation. Because, um, I mean, it does take a lot of resources to create good documentation. Right. It is very time-consuming. So it's just a matter of just weighing the, the pros and cons and what you want to be as a company. Um, cause it really does take a lot of work. <laughs> right. And I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, and it's interesting where we differ as developers. So most of your projects are custom from the ground up apps, right? And so that's a lot of documentation that you have to write on your own. Where on my end, I have a platform that I work with. And so there's a lot of documentation already out there that's similar. It's like, okay, if you need to add a piece of content, you're going to admin content, add piece, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there's like the modules we use, there's documentation for those. And so um, there are very few things that we actually have to document for our clients that um, are only specific to these custom workflows we put in place. Like, okay, so you need to produce a PDF that's automatically generated and printed out for your like PR committee. So, okay, this is how it works. So um, it's kind of an interesting difference between yeah. those mm-hmm. types of developers. Um, so you do more than just this. So Parksify is something new that you started doing in the past couple months. Is yes. that right? That right? So, yes. so tell us about Parksify. I'm kind of intrigued by this. So Parksify is a urban design publication. They're based out of LA. Um, and in addition to tech writing, I'm just a big fan of urban design, walkability, bike friendliness. Shout out to freaking Julie Anderson, the bike pedestrian coordinator in Denton, <laughs> for making Denton much more bike friendly. Um, but it's always just a fan of the publication I've read it for several years and uh, they started getting a much larger following the past couple months. So again, like just the beauty of Twitter, I tweeted at Ash Blankenship, who is uh, the CFO, I'm sorry, CEO over there. Um, And I happened to be in LA. I was like, Hey, like I'm in LA, like big fan of yours. Like we'd like to get together and talk about maybe starting a podcast. He was like, yeah, man, let's meet at Pete's. So we went to Pete's. And uh, sat down. I talked about what I did with the not boring tech writer and the equipment I use and how it's really not that hard of process. And um, he said, "Jacob, that sounds awesome." So we, <laughs> uh, about a month later, we we launched the Parksify podcast. We've had, gosh, guests like Chris Bruntlett, who is uh, a bike consultant out of Vancouver, um, who consults cities around the world on how to be more bike friendly. Jeff Speck, who's a walking consultant, who's wildly successful um 
And it's just a blast. I mean, I know I'm speaking to two podcasters. I mean, podcasting is just so much fun. <laughs> and yeah, you can you can stick to like your expertise or like what your job title is. Like we're we're all in tech, so we can reserve ourselves to tech podcasts. But if there's something else that you're into on the side, whether it's making what BlackBerry Pi, what did you do the other day? <laughs> Kyle made BlackBerry Pi. He's going to start a BlackBerry Pi podcast. I really need to start one. Um, three episodes long. <laughs> but the, the barrier to entry is not high in podcasting. Yes, there's a bunch of people doing it, but I talked about the content till earlier. There's a way to differentiate yourself and really get involved in whatever the topic is in the, in the podcasting sphere. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and I know, and you are, you practice what you preach too. I mean, I see you riding your bike around to town all the time and taking around. So, so what do you, what is your current opinion on the current walkability and urban landscape of Denton? It's getting, it's getting so much better. Um, so I, I don't have a car, so I, I have to travel by bike. Got to get the groceries, the coffee, the surveys, all that good stuff. <laughs> um, but since the city hired Julie Anderson as the bike pedestrian coordinator, I think that might be two years ago. She's just done such a lovely job. She's doing a lot of community events where all the cyclists get together and ride. Um, we're already seeing, I mean, Hickory has a beautiful demarcated bike lane. Um, I mean, all this stuff, I mean, it's local government, there's bureaucracy, all these things are going to take a lot of time to actually implement. Mm -hmm. But that, dialogue is happening and the fact that the city of denton hired a bike pedestrian coordinator yeah instead of just like referring to like a traffic engineer or something is <laughs> remarkable yeah that is really cool one of the handful of reasons that i came from came back from boulder to denton was because of just just the the thought leaders in this city um like i said boulder was awesome but i mean like straight up to be honest like kyle you played fairly significant role in me oh. moving back to Denton and people, political leaders like Kevin Roden, neighborhood advocates like Glenn Ferris. Here I am in Boulder, loving this community, but I'm seeing these individuals who are relentlessly advocating for this city. It's very unique and very special. So I just took so much joy in seeing that. And I wanted to be among those kinds of people who are showing so much love for their city people in local government like Kevin Roden, neighborhood advocates like Glenn Ferris who are walking on the ground with me, walking throughout downtown, seeing the voids, acting on them, trying to, find, trying to fill those voids. Peers like you who are just advocating for the tech industry relentlessly in this city. And not just because of, of jobs or higher pay or whatever, but you also bring this like beautiful camaraderie to it with the, the APIs and IPAs and the little dot coffee. I might be butchering that. No, it's all right. <laughs> um, but just vocal leaders like you, I don't know if you guys get enough credit, but I mean, you guys, at least for me personally, played a huge role in bringing me back to this city. Just That's how much awesome. you guys are willing to advocate for Little little college town. <laughs> that's nice to hear. Uh, I'm, that's the whole point of what we're trying to do is bring people like you back. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And that's an interesting. Yeah, and it's funny because, I mean, so many times uh, you, like, I think uh, about places like Boulder and, and you hear about their tech community and mm -hmm. their community and like their community in general and how the city is doing and how beautiful it is. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. Like, man, I should just go move to Boulder. Right. Yeah. But then I think about like when I moved. Um, back to Denton um, from Louisville because I was doing a lot of Dallas stuff. I was like, 
Denton's in this in this spot where it's it's growing, and you have an opportunity to literally play a role in helping develop that community out, right? So either I can go be part of the river, right, and boulder and, and just go with the flow and just be there, or I can be in my community making a difference, trying to improve it in, in some way, right, and, and build out that tech scene or build out the bike community or just, you know, be proponents of uh, just good city yeah. life, you know. So. Oh, Kyla, it, it gives me goosebumps. And you're, you're exactly right. There are, there are these, these sexy cities in the U.S., the, the L.A.s, the New Yorks, the San Francisco, Seattle, whatever. I mean, yes, like you can, you can buy in and just move there and have all the amenities that you need. But if you truly do care about your hometown or wherever you spent most of your adult life, take a second before you choose to move to think about what skills you have that you can contribute to your city. And like you said, to play an active role in adding those amenities, whatever you're interested in. Cause like I said before, the barrier to entry in Denton is very low in my opinion. Like you can get involved quickly. You can have an idea and you're likely going to find one or two people who are going to get behind you. Mm. Um, this is something very special about this city. And I mean, Yourself, Kevin, and Glenn have done such a great job of just really advocating for Denton. And I think if whatever we do brings more people like you to the city who want to help contribute as well, then I mean, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm yeah. doing then. Oh, it's awesome, man. <laughs> it's awesome. And just the beauty of, I mean, we have this, this term community, and it can often be like like, like a buzzword. Like, what, is, what does community mean? Um, like, for example, I went to one of the, the Little Doc coffee meetings that y'all had. It was awesome. Very hard for me to get up that early, <laughs> but I'm not any less part of the Dent community just because I don't go to that meeting. It's so reassuring knowing that that is still happening, even though I'm not actively taking part in it because mm-hmm. we, we all have only certain energy levels. We can't take part in every part of the community, and that's not what it necessarily means to be a part of the community. It's just resting the fact that dope stuff is still happening around you, even if you're not taking part but choosing this one or two things that you really do care about and allocating your time towards those. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to put it for sure. All right. Anything, David? Last question. Last question. So what, what advice would you give to someone else who wanted to get into the position you're in right now? And it's kind of diverse, but technical Roger. How about that? Yeah. Someone wants to get in that. What, what advice other than it sounds like go to UNT. (laughs) For real. real. Yeah. So if you're, if you're not in university yet, Move to Texas. <laughs> Move, to, <laughs> Move Denton. to Denton. Yep. Go to UNT. Holler at Brenda Sims. Um, the biggest piece of advice that I would have if you're not yet in any kind of industry is just to start writing online. Um, the reason I got the job at formerly known as Copyblogger Media is because I had an online presence. My supervisor was trying to figure out how I think how I write. I probably wouldn't have gotten the job if I wasn't already writing because if you're, if you're producing content, you have something to get feedback on. It's probably just like, just like development. You, you bring your code samples or whatever it is. Um, so start, start creating content now. It doesn't have to be technical, but just show people that you know how to think strategically. Start writing on Medium. Medium is a beautiful platform to start creating content. Um, and then... Golly, once you, once you get a tech writing job, no, go back a little bit. <laughs> you need to have 
your interests have to intersect somewhat at writing and technology. You obviously want to go into tech writing because you enjoy writing. Um, but you also have to be interested in technology. Um, that can be very overwhelming for a lot of people. Um, but if you're interested in technology and find those one or two aspects of tech that you like, I think this might be broad for anyone looking for work, um, but know what you like and trust what you like. If you're, if you're interested in tech writing and you're one of those dudes that loves to get delivery and take out food for every meal, don't take a tech writing job at a kitchen appliance company because you're going to be waking up every single day writing about kitchen appliances and you're probably not going to like it because you don't spend time in the kitchen. Um, so trusting what you like as a tech writer is huge and be confident enough to decline jobs um, that may not align with your interest in tech. Um, I guess the last piece of advice once you're in the industry understand that you're not going to be getting really a lot of credit like company wide. I mean, all, all writers are selfish. We all want to have the byline. We all want to have the gravatar next to the, the article title. I mean, we, we love recognition. That's just part of being a writer. But if you're going to be a tech writer, it's not, Oh, this article by Jacob Moses. Look at Jacob's curly hair on the screen. <laughs> no, it's, it's this article was created by Jacob his supervisor, Susan, developer, Nick, that all came together to create this nice, succinct, good piece of documentation. Um, so just dropping the pride and understanding that everyone in your company, whether it's supports or documentation or development, everyone in your company is working towards the same goal and then is creating a better product. So again, if you took the job at the company because you first of all like the product, and you're able to drop that pride and understand that, no, this isn't my piece of documentation. It's okay if Ernest Hemingway says, kill your darlings. People are going to chop at your darlings. <laughs> um, that means like cadence and like cute sentences. I should probably elaborate on that. <laughs> um, um, but just understanding that you're a part of a team. And as a writer, you're not going to have by Jacob Moses, by Kyle Taylor, whomever but you buy into the team and understand that you are playing a small role in creating a better product. So that would be my, I guess, starting from before being a tech writer, looking for work, and then once you're in the industry, I guess that would kind of be my, my story arch. It's a good, <laughs> it's a good range. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. How, how can people reach out to you and connect with you on Twitter or anything else like that? Yeah, so on Twitter and I think LinkedIn, and Facebook. I am Jacob Scott Moses. Um, I'm wearing a, I think, a baby blue button up. <laughs> and then, um, if anyone is interested in technical writing, you can go to my website at jacobmoses.com and you'll find the not boring tech writer. And gosh, I mean, you look at other, not hating on other tech writing blogs, but it's often very like, like tool heavy. Like, learn these tools, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it's very accessible content. Anyone from a seasoned tech writer, someone who's just getting into the industry, will get value from it. It's not going to be overwhelming with learn these tools, learn these computer languages. It's just, you're going to hear dialogue from other tech writers, get little bits of wisdom that you can apply to your own skill set. 
Uh, I think that's all the places I am. <laughs> I live in Denton, post up at Harvest House a lot. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. So, so here's my action items. One, uh, start writing. Two, join your community. Three, start a podcast. Right. Yeah. I think that's all we got. Yeah. What can you do in your city right now to make it just a little better? There's a, there's a publication called Curbed. It's an urban design online magazine. And Alyssa Walker just wrote a piece on 101 ways, like 101 ways you can make small contributions to your city. And it's as simple as just like planting a tree or, gosh, other things. They're super tight. <laughs> David, there's 101 of them. David knows a lot about planting trees. <laughs> <laughs> David, you're a tree planter. He, trees are great. He's a uh, consistent volunteer for Keep Denton Beautiful. Oh, so my goodness. That's uh, remarkable. But the one tree I did plant died. But I've given away a lot of trees. There we go. I've given away a lot of trees. Well, David is a perfect example of someone who is in tech, but also like, you know what? He wants to keep that beautiful. He loves trees. He loves trees. The tree died, but he'll he'll probably plant another one someday. He'll, he'll give you a live tree so yeah. you there can we go, go plant it. Yeah. We've there got a lot go. of trees already, so we need some of them to, to pass on before. Uh, I'll, I'm going to put in the show notes all the things you've talked about, plus your, the two podcasts. Um, and yeah, so Anything that'll else? be in the show notes. All right. Jacob, thanks for being on. Oh, it's been Thank such you. an honor. This Thank you all great. so much. This is a blast. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Peace. <laughs>